This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I am Fallon and I'm here with Mims. How are you? We're doing great. This is our first snowfall of the season. And I hate it. (laughs) Me too. It looked pretty this morning before I had to go outside though. Yeah, I bet because it was just fresh and Everything looks so trained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it got all slushy. Yeah. Gross. Okay. You got anything for us? Um, I know some listeners had asked for updates on that Sandra Eckert case. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't made an arrest. I'm not even sure what they're waiting for. They still have not made an arrest. It, if and when they do, I will definitely be updating everyone. Okay. So, what do you got for us? I got an update on the Delphi murders. I don't know if anybody's familiar. It's not Wisconsin based, but it's still really important. Um, you and I have been following it. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have been, so yeah. um, it's worth mentioning. So, okay, for those who don't know, the quick overview is basically Abby Williams, who was 13 at the time, and Libby German, who was 14 at the time, were murdered by, or I'm sorry, were murdered a quarter of a mile east of the Manon High Bridge on the walking trails east of Delphi, Indiana. And that was on the 13th of February in 2017. Um, so basically all they had was like a video recording and they had like a little snippet of uh, a, a man's voice saying like, uh, go, go down the hill or something like that. Just super creepy. And like, it's just so short that you can't even like think of whose voice that could be because it just sounds like just like any man's voice really. It's just so, so fast and short. Yeah, it's just like down the hill. Right, right. So it, it wasn't like, I don't know, very specific on who to pin it to. Yeah. But anyways, um, there is an update. Uh, so Richard Allen was arrested on October 26th and charged with two counts of murder. Uh, he is believed to be the man on the bridge in the cell phone video that was recovered from the girl's phone. Um, they never, I don't think they ever released the video, so... There was just the audio recording, but it wasn't the image. Um, they uh, released some still frame images. Okay. Yeah. So 
Um, so he was arrested and uh, he actually wrote a letter to the court stating, I, Richard M. Allen, hereby throw myself at the mercy of the court. I am begging to be provided with legal assistance and a public defender or whatever help is available, end quote. Uh, so he's currently at the White County Jail awaiting his hearing that is set for November 22nd. So that is just pretty huge because there is just nothing that really, uh, I guess, there was just a lot of people calling in saying like, oh, I think it's my boyfriend's voice or whatever, but it didn't lead to anything. So this is like the first thing that's like actually moving the case along. Well, and it was weird because at first they weren't releasing what he had been charged with. Like the charging document had been sealed, which if people don't know, that's not normal. Normally Mm -hmm. complaints are public records. So anytime in Wisconsin, we use complaints. So if people were charged, you would be able to call and get the complaint. And in this case, they're like, no, it's a sealed document. So it was unsure at first if they were going to charge him with murder or if he was an accomplice or like, it was just really, everything with this case has been really weird. So weird, yeah. Because they had released the one image of what they thought he looked like in the very beginning. Like, this was the man on the bridge. And then they had a new press conference a couple years later with a completely different image. It was the sketches, yeah. I seen that um, today and they basically compare 2017 2019 and what his actual picture is well mm-hmm. the guy who's arrested now um and yeah crazy different yeah it's very interesting i agree i am interested in seeing how this all pans out and um seeing if we're gonna get some you know hard evidence as to this actually being him um because yeah. i would just bring a lot of answers to the families that really need that and um i guess everybody because everybody's so involved in this case right like i want to know had he contacted them previously or was this just, just happened like a upon them. yeah yeah it was just like a spur of the moment oh they're here and i'm here kind of situation or right what right. was it because it's just so random in our eyes yeah Especially for it to be, you know, two girls together. Because that's always my theory, you know. You got to be in pairs. Right. Groups. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger the group, the better. But at least in pairs. And that didn't help in this case. So No. Which is, yeah, it sucked. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's my Very update sad. on that. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Today, I am going to tell the story of the disappearance of Kenneth and Michael Plasted. And my sources are Web Sleuths, Crime Squid, and The Charlie Project. So, Kenneth Plasted was last seen on November 16th of 1971. And I'll start with his description at the time of his disappearance. He's a white man, six foot one, 165 pounds. He was last seen wearing a gold ring with a square diamond in the center, a silver or gold ring with a black stone etched with the head of a helmeted Roman soldier and possibly a silver or gold watch. 
He had gray hair and blue eyes. If he was still alive right now, he would be about 99 years old. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So Kenneth was an attorney from the New Holston area in Calumet County. He also worked as an executive secretary of the National Fur Board. I was reading this like, do people still do that? Are fur farms like still a thing? You say fur, fur coats? Oh, fur, fur farms. Like mink farms? Remember, oh. that used to be a huge thing. I don't, people do that still? I'm sure. I'm sh- <laughs> maybe there's a decline because of PETA, but uh, yeah. I, people still like their furs, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, on the day of his disappearance, Kenneth had traveled to Milwaukee to attend meetings and to spend some time with his family. He had attended a meeting at the Plankinton building on Wisconsin Avenue, and then he was supposed to be at his daughter's by 1 p.m. to pick her up and then going out town to get his wife when she was done shopping. And then they were going to take their daughter to go purchase a car. So his daughter had noticed his car outside the window around one. But when he never came upstairs, she just assumed, like, no, that wasn't my dad's car. That's somebody else's car. Because why would he park and not come upstairs? Right. So after a few hours, she's like, you know, it's not like my dad to be this late. Where is he? So she goes outside and she realizes it really is his car. Okay. And when she goes to look at the vehicle, she finds that the vehicle is unlocked, but the keys are not inside. And the windows were left rolled down. And it appeared that someone had rummaged through the vehicle, like the glove box was open and things were strewn about that had been in the glove box. And then the funny thing was, though, he had purchased some gifts and they were still in the backseat of the vehicle and nobody took those. Oh. So, like, what were they looking for that they didn't want to take whatever gifts he had bought? Something very specific. Yeah, that's what it seemed like to me. And his hat was found in a nearby gutter, crushed. Yeah. That sounds really aggressive. <laughs> it did sound really aggressive, right? Just crushing so his knowing, hat in the gutter. Just like smash yeah. the hat. <laughs> what? Yeah. So they go looking around like has anybody seen him they found one the last person that had seen him was a nearby store employee who recalls changing a five for him shortly before 1 p.m that was right near his daughter's house so it seemed like he was fine he was alone he was headed to his daughter's house right before 1 p.m And then the police began investigating his disappearance and they realized that there was more to him than meets the public eye. As there is with most people. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, In fact, Kenneth had been taking money from the businesses he worked for Mm. to cover bills in his personal account. So the first amount they found missing was $65,000. Holy guacamole. Yeah, he wasn't just taking pocket change. No. Yeah. So when this came to light, many people assumed, including the police, that Kenneth had disappeared on his own accord. Right. Like, yeah, he ran. 
But his son, Michael, who also went on to become an attorney in Milwaukee, believes that a former associate most likely murdered his father due to a very heated dispute between the two. But the police say they did not find anything to back up this theory. Kenneth's wife, Priscilla, and their other children also believe that he was most likely murdered. Priscilla said that there is no way that he could stay away from her and his six children for that long. Like, he was a really devoted father and husband. Seems like he just had some financial issues. Yeah. But there was nothing to suggest that he would just walk away from his family. Right. Me personally, if I felt like I had to disappear and it was the 70s and you could actually disappear, I would have took the kids with me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Then you could go to another country and nobody really knows or cares. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What a time. What a time. (laughs) You're just free to just roam the country. Those were the days. (laughs) World, World, fly to... Paris and nobody will ever bother to come and get you. Right. Yeah, not anymore. There's no. a Facebook stalk you and <laughs> get yeah, your location from your phone and yeah. Yeah, we're being tracked everywhere. They'll be like on the camera. She went from here to here to here to here. Exactly. So- That's why like when people go missing nowadays, I'm like, you Ow. there's no trace, really. I don't know how that's possible. Who didn't live in the Fox Valley area because we have cameras on every freaking corner. (laughs) I have actually seen the police on the scanner page track people from Walmart where they stole something all the way to their house on the street cameras. That's how many cameras we have. Yeah, I believe it. When I one time I was driving and this guy like he took a sliver of the part of the road to turn right. So you're not... He didn't fit, okay? So he wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to be there. And he hit yeah. my mirror, my car mirror. And I, and oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I was so upset. So I was like, okay, I ha- I didn't pull over to see like what the day I was following this guy. And I was on the phone with the cops. And I was just like, hey, this guy just like hit my car and he just drove off. He looked directly at me. So he knew he did it. And he just drove off. I'm following him. But he was, he knew what he was doing because he was taking a left, taking a right, this and that, just trying to get away from me. And then I finally Mm -hmm. lost him. And then the cop calls me back and he's like, yeah, I've been tracking him. He's been on this street. And then I'm like, oh my God. So literally they can find you wherever on all these cameras. Oh, because they have these little tablets and on their tablet, they can click from this camera to this camera, to this camera, to this camera. Yeah. And they can watch the entire city from their tablet. And you can, like, zoom in on people's faces. That's crazy. So if you didn't know, now you know. Yeah, now you know. You're not... Don't do any crimes around here. Don't be doing it in your car, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just walk down the street at all. You gotta walk, like, between houses or something. (laughs) Okay. Back to my story. Let's see. No, that's... This is what we do. Yeah, this is this is it. <laughs> In addition to his other jobs of just being an attorney and working for the evil fur company, <laughs> <laughs> he was also a family court commissioner hmm. and a court-appointed attorney. Wow, just a lot so, going on. 
he was a busy man and yet he still had to steal money to get by so yeah i don't get that but okay living outside your means did not just start in the 2000s <laughs> true very true good point so two of the people that he was court appointed to represent were brothers named greg and dennis howie and greg happened to escape from jail on the day of kenneth's disappearance oh so some people speculate that this is the associate that his son was referring to like that he believes an associate killed his father oh there are people that believe that they're talking about his client who he was having disagreements with because his client didn't like the sentence he was about to get and his mm-hmm. client escaped from jail right so oh, yeah. that's a theory but mccabby met county district's attorney's office did not see things the same way they went on to file charges against kenneth for stealing a total of $179,000. Wow, he was not That's a around. lot in 1970s money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably like a million dollars in 2022 money. <laughs> Oof, yeah. Because our inflation is ridiculous. Seriously. So once they pressed charges, this led to so many rumors. People claimed he had fled to South Africa, that they were trying to extradite him, and extradition wasn't going through. There was an FBI manhunt for him. Wow. So he was very famous as a escaped fugitive. They right. never looked at it like he could have died. Oh. They always looked at it as if he had ran away, even though he hadn't been charged until after his disappearance. Okay. Which I find to be interesting, too. They just... The theory is that he knew that this was going to be coming. Like, he Mm. couldn't fix it. He'd gotten in too deep. Right. He didn't have a way out, so he was going to run. Okay. And he was a... And as a businessman, he was a world traveler. So... He was familiar with how to travel and what to do. And one of the debts that he had was from getting a passport made. Apparently, he didn't pay that $25 debt. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's possible that he escaped. Right. And then on March 19th of 1973, Paul Ganchok wrote a letter to the police informing them that Kenneth was in Milford, Connecticut. He had received an advertisement with a P.O. Box address from Milford, Connecticut, in which Kenneth was looking for someone to live with in Florida, where Ganshop at the time was living. And Ganshop was a mink farmer, and he was a former client of Kenneth, so he was familiar with him. So when he came across the information, he's like, oh, I'm going to forward this to the police. But the Calumet County Sheriff's Department investigated and they were unable to ever locate him. And some people said maybe it's a different kind of place did that had made the advertisement. It wasn't the missing person one. Okay. And then in November of 1978, he was officially declared dead by the court. Oh. Yeah, his family had him declared dead. And then in 1979, the family was awarded his life insurance benefits. 
And despite this, at the time, that Donald Pappy, who is the DA, said, I don't care if people believe that he's dead right now, if he is found and comes back to life, <laughs> I'm charging him. Yeah. Like, no matter what, I am prosecuting him. He was serious about this. Like, he right. is getting prosecuted no matter how long it takes. I feel like he he's like that one person that got away from him and he is just extra mad about it yeah so but what if he's dead <laughs> then he's just mad for no reason and this poor guy's been dead all this time like nobody knows nobody ever and that's what his family said like nobody investigated right. to see right if he was dead yeah they were so, so dead set on him being a fugitive. From the very beginning. And like, one of his daughters said it's a very big difference between searching for a fugitive and searching for a body. Right. For sure. Like you're looking in very different places and for very different evidence. Right. Yeah. Wow. Oh. That is crazy. I was like, this is very interesting. This happened right in Calumet County? Yeah. That is... I, and to think that I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I had never heard of it either. I was just going through missing persons cases like I do. Yeah, like you <laughs> do. Like, that's my that's my hobby. That's your jam for sure. Who, who yeah. knows why, but it is. I, I don't know why. I'm obsessed. I'm Somebody solve has one. to do it though. I'm going to solve something. <laughs> I hope you do. I really hope you do. <laughs> yeah, so probably not this one. I don't think so. This is way above our pay grade, that's for sure. Unless the murderer, like, listens and they're like, you know what? I'll, like, confess on my deathbed or something. Right. Okay, wow. That was a great Thanks. story. Thank you. Very interesting. <laughs> Lots of twists and turns, <laughs> that's for sure. All right. What do you have for us today? I have a center tail. Ooh, we got a center tail. Okay, so I'm going to read it and then I'm going to go into the story after I researched it. Um, okay. So this person didn't say if we should put her name in, the, in our... Um, episode so i'm just gonna call her a um so it starts okay. alan and mims i've been your show and now eagerly await wednesdays when your new episode drops love that thank you i live in burlington wisconsin which is a small town on the border of racine and walworth counties tonight i learned about a case you might be interested in from one of my co-workers didn't want to walk out out of our building by herself because quote 30 years ago a woman was seen leaving her job at the bank one night and never showed showed up for work the next day no one knew what happened to her until they found her chained okay i'm not gonna say the rest of that um <laughs> uh and quote right there um i was shocked or I was shook and immediately thought of all the sins. I did a quick Google search and found that her name was, and then I'll tell you that in a second. Um, her family had originally hoped that she had just left her husband to start a new life. 
Um, and I'm going to end it right there. She put in the article and she ended it with saying, um, thanks for the time and effort you put into researching your stories. Love the show. And we love you. So thank we you. For do. That. It's so nice to, when people are like, oh, I can't wait to listen. Because sometimes with podcasting, you don't get immediate feedback. True. Like you do like on social media. Right. So it's kind of different. You never really know if people are listening unless they tell you. Exactly. Yeah. So if you love us, please let us know because we love hearing it. <laughs> we do. <laughs> okay. So this is a story of Don Marie Marcel Brassard. Um, I got my sources from Find a Grave, Kenosha News, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Gazette Extra, Journal and Courier, and Wish TV. So Dawn was born in Cook County, Illinois. Her parents were William and Judith Marcel. Uh, she lived in Addison, Illinois until she moved to Wisconsin in 1972. And she graduated from Wilmont High School in 1985 and then married David Brassard on September 19, 1992. She was employed as a loan officer for State Financial Bank in Waterford and Burlington, Wisconsin. And she had many interests like being a fan of the Chicago Bears uh, football team. Uh, she even played the organ at Peace Evangelical Lutheran Church and was an avid member of the Wilmont Chamber of Commerce. So just a busy lady just doing the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so unfortunately, she went missing in October 1997 at the age of 27. Uh, her husband was the last known person to have been with her. So he was seen talking to Don in the parking lot of the bank that she was working at while she was walking to her car. And the next day she was scheduled to work, but she never showed up. And what's weird is that her car was found locked and undisturbed in that same bank's parking lot where it was last seen. So mm -hmm. on that day that she went there, it just didn't move. On July 11, 2003, her body was found by scuba divers in Geneva Lake, Wisconsin, uh, 120 feet below the surface. So she was pretty down there. Wow. Um, her body was held to the bottom by a weight and chain, which is why she was so deep. Um, her hands were also bound as well. Her supervisor at the bank, Francis Kukul, <laughs> that, that's an interesting name. Um, he's now retired, said, um, I always hope they could find who did it, end quote. Investigators chased about 350 leads, however, no new updates um came up since july 2005 and her death remained unsolved for quite some time uh one suspect or one would think that her husband would be the suspect for a minute he was cooperating throughout the investigation um he was you know there answered questions uh so he wasn't really on the radar at first um, her family believes others may have seen Don and David talking to her, um, but others 
haven't come forward with information with anything else. Um, additionally, Dawn had on a watch when her body was discovered and the watch stopped at 8.15 and uh, a jeweler told detectives that the watch would not have operated long after being submerged. So it was around that time of 8, 8.15 where she was put in the water. Okay. Which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So unlike a lot of Fallon stories, mine does kind of <laughs> have a... I wouldn't say an ending, but something did turn a corner in 2008. Uh, Prosecutors were actually building a case against David, who was 40 years old at the time. Uh, The only thing was that they only had an array of circumstantial evidence. Nothing was concrete. Uh, The bolts found on the underwater chains were similar to some used at the Burlington Marina where David worked in 1997. Um, Mm. So that did point the finger at him a little bit. County Sheriff's Captain Dana McBoer, who led the investigation for the last five years, um, stated it's just trying to make the connection that if in fact those were the bolts that were used, there was access to them. They're similar. It's just another piece to the puzzle, end quote. He also was very familiar with Lake Geneva as he did fishing tournaments there. And he also owned a 175 horsepower Mercury motorboat. So there was means to get out into the water. So David was eventually arrested in Menasha at his work and He was tried for her murder in Walworth County Circuit Court with Judge James Carlson. Uh, David's attorney, Charles Bloomfield, strayed away from the media and just didn't want to comment on anything that was going on. Um, A man who cleaned the bank that night, Dawn disappeared, testified that he saw her argue with someone that night in the parking lot. So... um, kind of put two and two together. Additionally, when interviewed on separate occasions, David's story would change. So one night he um, was there and left, and then other nights he wasn't there. It's just, it didn't always align. Mm, Of course Uh, not. (laughs) But there's more, of course. Um, A woman came forth in September of 2003 saying that she had an affair with David from 1994 to 1997 at one time during the affair. That's a long affair. I know. I don't get how you could do that, but this relationship was a lot of affairs, a lot of tit for tat, a lot of um, just back and forth. And it was just kind of toxic. It wasn't the ideal relationship. Um, At one time during the affair, he told her he had seen his wife with another man and said he indicated, quote, he was going to wrap her in heavy chains and cement blocks and throw her into the lake where she would never be found, end quote. Kind of on the nose, don't you think? Yeah. So bartender Linda Stammers testified that their marriage, Don and David's, had problems and that it was known that Don had intimate relationships with other men and specifically a former Union Grove man. 
Um, but it was basically the talk of the town. So, you know, he had an affair, she had an affair, people knew about it. Um, it just what this relationship was. So he later admitted, David did, that at one point he placed Dawn's wedding gown on the bed with a note which stated, until death us do us part, end quote. So oh. kind of just even more... Uh, disturbing i don't know yeah. behavior definitely during the trial a few jurors leaned forward into the chairs um as an x-ray showed a depressed fracture in the front of don's head which former milwaukee county medical examiner jeffrey jensen suggested might have been caused by a sledgehammer so she was beaten beforehand and it just the amount of beating that her head took was definitely aggressive and definitely in a frenzy. So it wasn't just like a, I'm going to steal your wallet and punch you in the face. It was like a, a brutal attack. Yeah. The blows could have caused a coma or killed her within moments. So that's how bad it was. However, due to the lapse in time from the disappearance, her, um, her evidence was destroyed and there was not enough to convict him. So the jury ultimately found him not guilty. And he has not been, there hasn't been any mention of, um, you know, anything else. It's just kind of like the case is closed. They got his, the got, they got the guy, but the jury didn't seem to think that there was enough to actually put him behind bars. Oh, wow. That's frustrating. Right, right. And I don't think that there really is any other explanation for it. I think that um, it could have been maybe like a scorned lover, but he seemed like he was the most scorned, you know, even though he had uh, an affair with other people, he he seemed very possessive and it didn't seem like um, he wanted to let go, even though um, he was out you know, doing his own thing. Yeah. So that is the story of Don Marie Marcel Brassard. Um, thank you for sim submitting that. That was a really good story to look into. And I'm glad we talked about her story. Yeah, great job. Thanks for writing into us. Yeah, thank you. A. <laughs> <laughs> All okay. right. Anything else today? No, I think that's a wrap for me. I have one more thing. There's a suspicious death investigation going on like 10 blocks from my house. Oh, geez. What do you mean? There's a suspicious death. That's all APD has said. But they have the whole road that it's going on on. Right blocked now? Off. It has been all day. Yeah. They still oh. have the police blocking off the road. Oh, my gosh. That is yes. nuts. So I don't know what happened. All they've said is a suspicious death. My daughter's like, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. <laughs> it's just... It could be it's drugs. Suspicious. It could be murder. It's suspicious. It wasn't natural. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. It's not just... Uh, it, it can't be ruled on yet. So that's why the suspicious yeah. is there. Lots of police flashing lights blocking off street blocking off their whole block so wow yeah you're gonna have yeah. to give us an update on that 
Yeah, I'll see if they're still there when I go back by. <laughs> You're one of the nosy neighbors. I'll take a picture. Yeah, definitely do that. <laughs> yep, All right. that's all I got then. All right. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't, don't forget, forget, we love you. Love you.